Sometimes you feel so alone and overwhelmed, you don't know where to turn. These days, it seems like there is no end to our problems. We invite you to connect with Silent Unity, the 24-hour prayer ministry where someone is waiting to pray with you right now. Since 1890, Silent Unity has always been there. No judgment or dogma, just someone affirming the best for you. Call 816-969-2000 today. You can also connect online at unityprayervigil.org. You're listening to Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Welcome to World Spirituality, exploring the unity within all cultures and faith traditions with your host, Reverend Paul John Roach. So hello and welcome to World Spirituality on the Unity Online Radio Network. I'm your host, Paul John Roach, coming to you from Fort Worth in Texas, where fall has really happened and it's, uh, it's in the 30s for us, which is quite cold for, for Texas. Uh, today is part four in our four-part series on death, dying, and the afterlife. And today I talk with uh, Lisa Najar about uh, her book. She's a medium, a counselor, an author, and the book she's written is entitled Dying to Tell You, Channeled Messages from the Famously Dead. And we're talking famous folks, uh, from Abraham Lincoln to... Elvis to Paul Newman, and each uh, correspondent with Lisa has an uplifting story to tell, and we'll find out more about that in a minute. Um, so it's a pleasure to welcome Lisa Najar to today's show. Glad you could be with us. Thank you so much, Paul, for having me. I really appreciate it. So um, first question I have is uh, why why all these famous people? You know, how did they come? Why not just regular Joes as well? That's a great question. And it's one I asked them. And what they said was that it makes sense that, you know, had it been Aunt Betty or Uncle Joe, nobody really would listen. And the thing is, the messages are very, very simple, but yet really profound. And they really want people to understand sort of uh, some of these concepts so that they can live more meaningful lives while they're here on earth. And they figured with their name behind them, they would, you know, more people would tune into it. So uh, I think they're probably right. And some people come back more than once, right? You've got Abe Lincoln coming back a few times and uh, John, was it John, George Harrison and, and Davy Jones. And I understand that you actually met Davy Jones one time after a concert. So you have a particular connection there. Yes, that's so it was so funny because I had met him and we were talking and somebody snapped a picture, which is in the book, snapped a picture of him and I talking. We were deep in conversation and we were discussing at the moment that they took that picture, life after death. And he kept saying, no, when you're dead, you're deadly. So there's nothing after that. And I said, no, 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 Davey. Well, anyways, I mean, fast forward to 2015 and who comes in? Davy and I didn't even know he had passed. I had no idea. So it was a big shock to me. And I had to Google afterwards to find out, oh my gosh, he died. So he said to me, you know, I've never been so happy to be wrong. And of course, you know, you would be, right? 
Of course, it's funny, isn't it? Because I think many people are skeptics and they sort of, or they don't want to really think about it. They they may have an inkling of something, but it can't be proved. So I'm not going to really go there. I'll assume it's all over when it's you know when we die. But um, yeah, but there, I think there is that sense of there's maybe there's something, but you know. Uh, I've got to focus on my life right now, so to speak, you know, rather than focusing on what, what comes later. But the, it is fascinating, like you say, that, um, you know, there's a continuity. And we've been discussing this all during this series, you know, that life does not end at death, right? That only the body dies and uh, there's a continuity of the soul or the essence of somebody. And, and an interesting thing I want you to tell me, too, is... Um, all the stars that you you uh, interviewed in the in the book, uh, the deceased, uh, famously deceased, uh, they they all kind of continued. Um, they shifted their deeper perception, but their personalities remained the same in some regard, right? Yes, they really did. And and to be honest, though, Paul, a lot of them I didn't know. Believe it or not, I'm not one that followed much in the way of the famous, uh, the famously living. And so I couldn't have told you who was alive, who was dead, who married who, what they did, uh, how they died, if they died. And I really didn't. So a lot of them I didn't know, like Waylon Jennings, I didn't know him at all. And um, even Paul Newman, I wasn't 100% sure he had died. And when he was speaking about his wife, I wasn't sure she had so, um, yeah, it's just it was just really interesting. But so some of them I didn't know that well. And uh, but I think they're all still of a similar mind, but they've had some really great awakening since uh, since they passed. Right. Yeah, we're going to discuss that as we go into the show. And, and I think that's true. But they're all bringing a perspective that, for instance, um, you know, maybe they, they felt they were too rigid in their lives. And so they've learned to loosen up on that rigidity, but it, it's, it was still part of their, their character. I'm thinking of John Wayne, for instance, you know, that his resilience could sometimes be um, seen as rigid. And he understood that, right, as, as he passed on. He understood that maybe there were other ways of looking at things and, and maybe he could have softened his stance if he'd, if he'd really thought about things a little more deeply. Um, so, so they have a chance to continue to unfold. And maybe that's true for us, right, as we... As we move on um, in these incarnations, uh, hopefully we're getting better, right? Well, and, and it's true. Yeah, it's definitely true. And the other thing is, you know, we talk about, yes, a lot of people think, well, look, this, there's enough to on my plate right now, just dealing with this life. But the thing is, this life could be so much easier if we understood and remembered. A lot of times it's just remembering what we're really doing here. And so a lot of these folks, they had like fame and fortune and power and influence and money and every other thing that you could imagine. And ultimately, none of that really did much for them because what they realized is, oh, gosh, you know, these are not the things at all that I should have been looking at. And so I think if we have an understanding of what it's about and that life does not end when we pass, in fact, not at all, it gets even better, I think. And so then, you know, we kind of understand what we're doing here. And it's not just to kill time, so to speak, or, you know, acquire the most stuff. It's really not. Right. Yeah, there's a famous line, isn't there? You know, how much did uh, Howard Hughes leave when he died? And the answer is all of it. <laughs> <You know>? Yes. <laughs> 
Exactly. And that's what some of these folks found out is that, you know, they, they spent so much time either acquiring or keeping or hoarding or, 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 or stressing about even, even Jane Mansfield, you know, beautiful Jane Mansfield, you know, so young. And she says in the book how she was so obsessed with her looks because she was always worried who's going to be more attractive this year. What movie star is going to come out that's going to beat her. And meanwhile, the poor thing, she dies young. And now she looks down and sees the women and men, you know, doing so much to fix their bodies all the time. And it's the focus is all wrong. It's just not, it's not helpful. Right. Yeah. I remember when she died because she, I think she died in, um, in Britain, actually, in a car wreck. And uh, I, I think she lost a head or something like that. You know, it was a terrible car accident, whatnot. Terrible. Uh, and it was, it, you know, it seemed ironic, really, that this person who put so much into her physical beauty and, and you know, the body and the, the beautiful face and everything, you know, was that was all taken from from her so dramatically, you know, very sad in a, in a sense. Yes. So tell me about... Um, your background in terms of your ability to channel and um, you know meet with people in this way as as it's been something you've had since you were uh, whoops is it something you've had since you were a child or when did it develop as an adult tell us about that yeah you know I hear everybody else that's sort of in my line of work talking about how they knew as a child I don't think I knew any of this as a child I don't recall ever thinking it. The, the first time it ever hit me that I could do this was so innocent. My, I was staying with a friend and tragically her two sisters, we were, we were just teenagers and her two sisters, one younger, one older, both passed away within two years of each other. One was only 16, one was only 11. And so I was living in the house for a, a couple months with her. And at Christmas time, I saw, I could hear you know, girls giggling out in the living room. And so middle of the night, I would go out into the living room and I would see all the baubles on the tree moving and I would hear giggling and talking. And I knew without, it It was just very matter of fact, I knew it was the two girls, Liz and Teresa, I knew it. And it was in the next day, I simply said, hey, Denise, your sisters were here last night having a wonderful time around the tree. And I never once thought, wow, Lisa, are you a medium? I didn't even know what that word was, to be honest, until I was in my 40s. So I think it was just really natural and I didn't pay any mind to it. Yeah, so it wasn't like, um, what, what's the word, you know, it wasn't surrounded by sort of mumbo jumbo or, you know, mysterious esoteric knowledge or anything. It was just something that just natural that came. Yes, it was. And a matter of fact, if you if I fast forward a few years, I was in Toronto going to, to school, to college, and uh, I actually signed up for a tarot card reading class. And uh, I was in the class, maybe third class in. And all of a sudden, because I had a pretty strict Catholic background, all of a sudden, I kind of thought, wow, maybe this is not good. Maybe it's the work of the devil. I didn't know. And I just kind of got scared and spooked and thought I shouldn't do it. And I never looked at it again for a lot of years. And uh, of course, now I look back and think, gosh, that was so silly because it's anything but that. I mean, I connect with angels and, and Jesus on a regular basis, Mother Mary, and it's just beautiful. It's all just beautiful, hopeful, helpful, loving messages. 
So you're saying then that uh, it's only on planet Earth that we have this, quote, veil of tears, right, where there's all this duality and suffering. Once we transcend that, you know, the, the truth of the universe is, is, very, is very beautiful. So the next question becomes, is it just a workshop here? Is that why we're here, you know, to learn these lessons in a difficult environment? I mean, what, what's the purpose? Yes, I asked that myself. It's just a, a really perplexing question we all have, I think, at times. And really, what I understood is there's only one game in town, and the only game in town is, is to evolve yourself. So, for example, when you're in, let's say, heaven, we'll call it heaven, uh, you, you know, you have this idea that you're, say, forgiving or you're loving. And it's and you really know you are that because you are that. But you don't get a chance to do anything to sort of practice or to to test yourself on that. You come down to the earth and that's where the rubber meets the road. And all of a sudden there are people who we have to now forgive and we have to be challenged to see, are we really forgiving? Are we really loving or is it just a concept in our minds? So I think it's a wonderful opportunity to practice some of the things we we know ourselves to be. And uh, that's and that's and then I think once we're here, we get mixed up in, you know, missing the mark. And that creates some karma that we then want to come back and balance. So we get trapped in that. They call it Maya or that circle of lifetimes. So that's what I've been told so far. <laughs> Well, now, the, the, the people you interviewed, right, these stars, whatever, these famous people, came to you over a, a period of three or four months, right, in uh, early in spring, early summer of 2015. Um, and that's a relatively short period of time. Uh, have, they, have they come back again? Have, they, have you had other visitations or was it just that one period of time? I actually, Walt Disney came to me several years before that, before the messages in the book, to talk about a TV show that um, Spirit had downloaded and said that they would help me get that on the air. Then they came in for the book, so I did the book. Since then, uh, Michael Jackson's come in to talk to me once or twice for personal things, and he really helped me quite a bit, actually. And then George Harrison always comes in on his, the anniversary of his death. I never know that it is that, but I find out on Instagram maybe the next day that it was his anniversary of his death. He always comes in every year like that. He pops in actually in June. He came in in July. He came in in February. So he pops in a fair bit to talk about different things going on in the world. Uh, who else? Paul Newman's come in a number of times besides the book. And I think, and then of course, Jesus and Mother Mary and, and some of the archangels, they're always with me. So I talk to them quite often. And you do this as a, a, a work pro, a process that, you know, that you, you channel and, and help people to you? Is it, is it part of what you do as a livelihood? Yeah, I do now because uh, after the book, I, I almost couldn't help it. I never, ever, ever, ever thought I would do this for a living. I was a court reporter and uh, here I am doing it. And yes, my work now, I do psychic work, mediumship. I also really love helping people untangle their blocks because if you have a block around something, uh, it usually is set up in another lifetime. And of course, we don't remember that. So I can track back where it got set up, a block to success or love or money or something. I can find out what those beliefs are that we took from other lifetimes and help to untangle that and get get some forgiveness around it. And uh, Jesus, 
and Mother Mary have been coming in quite a bit to do healing with my clients now. And they told me I'm going to transition into a lot more healing along with all this, what I call soul, soul healing work that I do in my sessions. So do you think that uh, this particular time in our history, you know, we need more of this healing? Uh, we've always needed it, obviously, but it seems uh, there's a lot of division right now in our society and throughout the world. And maybe uh, even more, we need, we need this sense of reconciliation, right, coming together uh, in some kind of harmony. It's, it's hard to find sometimes. Exactly. And what's interesting is I always uh, had really wonderful, upbeat messages my whole life uh, that I've been doing this. And suddenly it switched. Last December, Lord Shiva came in and talked to me. I was in a session with David Pramal, a good friend of mine, and uh, her and I were just chatting. It was one of our little fun chat sessions. And all of a sudden, Lord Shiva came in and he laid out the year of 2020 for me. And I tell you, Paul, I, I couldn't believe it. I said, no, no, no. 2020 is going to be a great year. I thought it would be just the most fantastic year. I could feel that. And he said, no, no, it won't be. And then he went on to explain what it's going to look like. And I refused to accept that. I only told maybe two close friends of mine because I couldn't wrap my head around what he had told me was coming. And when I asked why, why would this happen? Uh, and he said, people will think it's a punishment, but it's not. It's basically more light is coming onto the planet. And we're really moving into this um, more of a, an ascension state of uh, unity and oneness and peace. And, you know, we all have all this kind of uh, darker, heavier emotions and and all our negative stuff that we're carrying around with us, fears and racism and unforgivenesses and whatnot. And he said, that's got to be cleared. We need to look at ourselves. And so he warned me. He said, when you see the storm coming, because it will be coming next year, 2020, when the storm comes, he said, don't look outside. Close your blinds. Don't look outside. Only look inside. And every time you point the finger outside and say, well, wh why is that politician doing that? Or why are those people doing that? Just turn inside and say, what in me is angry? What in me still has some prejudice? What in me is unforgiving? And on and on. And that way you will evolve yourself. And because we're all, if we all did that, well, we would, we would uplift instantly if we all did that. Right. Very profound words, aren't they? Because uh, we're all uh, mirrors to each other and we wouldn't see it in another unless it was in, in us somehow, right? There's a kernel of it in us as well. And so really, when we see it in others, it's it's an opportunity to to learn and to grow. Uh, you know, instead, we project out and say, oh, no, it's all in them, you know, and then we've lost that opportunity. So Shiva was uh, giving some good advice there. For those of us who aren't familiar, of course, Lord Shiva is the uh, one of the great gods of the Hindu pantheon. He's often associated with destruction, but it's usually uh, transformation rather than destruction. It's uh, it's the necessary dissolution so that new things can come forth, a bit like the um, the phoenix, right, in the in the fire. And uh, it's a very powerful um, archetype of uh, what goes on within us at all times, you know, because every everything must decay in order for new things to come forth. That's the cycle of, of nature, and it, it's true for ourselves as well. So not something to fear, something to, to embrace, right, Lisa? 
Absolutely. In fact, on Sunday, I just I have so many clients that ask me what's coming, what's coming, what's coming, what's going to happen, who's going to win the election, what what are they calling for for 2021? And finally, I decided and I never speak about that in my sessions ever, ever. I keep everything in a healing, positive mode. And finally, on Sunday, I decided I am going to do a, a webinar and I just finished it. And I finally just told them sort of what they're saying, what's coming, what it's about, what it means. And uh, and yes, and, and they stressed over and over. This is a really rare opportunity for all of us to finally look deep inside of ourselves and don't waste this crisis. If we waste this crisis, uh, uh, to be honest, I think something more is going to come. But we have to take the opportunity to look inside and everything you feel about those people out there, take it inside, do the inner work, do the un do really learn to forgive and to be um, compassionate and to be kind and not concern yourself with out there because you're right, Paul, it's all a reflection of us. Every single thing we see on this on the world stage the political stage is just a reflection of us right very good very good and of course we are a spiritual uh, network and a spiritual show and we can't get political and we're not getting political right now but uh, we're pointing out that whatever side of the spectrum you're on um there's there's work to be done and there's forgiving work to be done right so we're we're rising above sectarian or uh, partisan lines and and seeing it in a, from a higher perspective, so we want, to, we want to focus very much on that. That that's that's where the solution lies, I believe, right? And and not in getting in enmity with people. Absolutely, it doesn't matter. Uh, I, I use the analogy on Sunday uh, in that webinar of um, Dr. Seuss's book, uh, the um, Sneetches, that one of my favorite books when my son was young. And you know, the star belly Sneetches, and some had the stars on their bellies and some didn't. And I said, I don't care who you're voting for. That doesn't matter. It's about you, you just be forgiving, be kind, be loving to everybody, all all people. And uh, and that's all that matters, because ultimately, uh, Spirit has said, we don't care who you people vote for. It's not about that. It's about what's inside of you. And let's get right with yourself and with your higher with God, you know, get right with God, your own, you know, the God of your understanding. Right. As Jesus said, you know, seek first the kingdom and the righteousness of the kingdom. And then all these other things will be added in the in the right and perfect way. So, it, you know, we go we go to headquarters. I mean, Charles Fillmore co-founder of Unity said, you know, when I've got a problem, I, I don't stew in it. I go to headquarters, by which he meant I go to source, go to God and, and wonderful, wonderful advice. And you've done that in this book. Uh, you've gone to the um, people who are free now of their um, earthly conditions and, and and can yet learn the wisdom, you know, use the wisdom that they've learned and gleaned in their life. But, but in a deeper sense, as they've moved into this other realm. So as we go through the, the, the rest of the show, and especially in the second segment, I want to choose uh, just a few people out of the many people you have in the book. What is that, about 30 or something? And um, that we'll, we'll look at each one and see, see what each person has to, has to teach us, right? Because they, they have some uh, lesson, and that's why they came back, presumably, to, to be helpful. Exactly. Yes. Yes. And I, one thing I want to say that struck me was often when when these folks came to you, um, you were listening to, uh, you know, pieces of music. Obviously, you love music and that's inspirational for you. 
but uh, we, you know that seems to inspire a connection. Is that is that true? Do you think? Well, I know um, Mark Twain and uh, George Harrison loved Deva Pramal's uh, Gayatri mantra that I would put on, and they commented, and I think a lot of the other ones really loved it too. They made comments, so uh, yeah, it, it helped me. It definitely helped me. Right, and I, I'm very uh, big into the idea of uh, music being, you know, a connector between the earth and heaven, if you like, you know, because. It's, it goes directly to the heart, doesn't it, music often? It, it bypasses the intellect, and, and it's something that's a felt response, you know. Plus, plus it's visceral. It's in our bodies. You, know, you can't help but uh, move your body or, or dance to music, so it connects you in, in all, at all levels. So I think that you know, it's very valuable in that regard. Absolutely. And the other thing I mentioned, too, even in my um, webinar is, uh, a lot of them speak about joy. And, and so whatever brings you joy, and, and oftentimes it is music for people. Like you said, they, they sing, they dance, they, they have a memory. They, uh, it, it, just, it just relaxes us. It's beautiful. So whatever you can do to bring more joy into your lives, that's what's going to connect you more and more and more to your higher, to your higher self and to that higher uh, aspect. So it's all good. Right. And I would say even down songs, you know, even the blues can connect us because in the blues, you're being honest about your feelings and it's sort of cathartic. You know, you're letting it out so that you can you can move on. Um, so, yeah, even those those songs. Um, I'm not sure about violent songs that, you know, think everything's terrible. I don't think that's really going to help. But but uh, most most music can, I think. You love Diva Pramal, obviously, and, and uh, I'm a big fan of Krishna Das as well because his soulful singing, you know, really gets me into that spiritual place uh, where, you know, things seem to expand. You know, you're no longer limited uh, and you forget your worries and your concerns and, and you enter into that soulful place. Yes, yes, yes. I love him, too. I, I uh I think that all of the, all of that, whatever brings you into that beautiful space, is is really a, a benefit, actually. Right, mm-hmm. folks. I'm with uh, Lisa Nature, and she's written a book called "Dying to Tell You: Channeled Messages from the Famously Dead." She also does webinars and other work. If people want to get hold of more of your what you do, what's the best website or contacts for you, Lisa? Uh, just my website, lisanajar.com, and, and uh, if they subscribe, they're entered every single month for a free, I do a free reading every month, and uh, so then everything of mine's on that, on there. So it's, it's all online, they can find out exactly what they need to, to know, that's great, and yeah. the book um, is published in all the usual outlets, folks, um, like I said, Dying to Tell You, Channeled Messages from the Famously Dead. Um, We're going to take a break, listen to these messages from Unity. Thank you so much for listening to World Spirituality and all the other shows on the network. And if you want to contact me, I'm at pauljohnroach at yahoo.com. Join us in a few minutes.
Discover the power within. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. We now return to World Spirituality with Reverend Paul John Roach. So welcome back to today's show. I'm Paul John Roach, and I'm with Lisa Najam. We're talking about her book, Dying to Tell You, Channeled Messages from the Famously Dead. And in the first segment, we, we discuss ways that this happens and why famous, etc., and various other subjects. But in the second uh, segment, I, I'd like to talk about some of the individuals that uh, came to to Lisa and, and and some of the messages that they had. And we'll just go down the list, I think, and, and see where we go. Um, the, f- the first one, I think, is universally ad- uh, admired person um, uh, in terms of we feel tender towards her uh, is Marilyn Monroe. And um, Marilyn came to you uh, with a definite message, right? Well, she, surprisingly, she's still loving the fact that she's resting and uh, she loves that. And she talked quite a lot about these masks we wear. You know, we we have to say that, oh, I'm a nurse, I'm a mother, I'm a this, I'm a that, I'm a, you know, but really, we're not showing the real, the real authentic self most of the time. And she, she just loves that she can now be mask free, basically. And, uh, and she's doing a lot of resting. I think her life took a lot out of her. And uh, she says, I'm not in any hurry to, to move along here. I'm just really loving what I'm doing. And she's just basking in this beautiful kind of a spa-like zen place. And I, I, I just like, wow, I don't think I'd want to leave either. <laughs> it sounded so beautiful. Right. And, and, of course, she was only 36, I think, when she died. You know, relatively, relatively young, right? Um, yes. And it, it seems that, it, you know, of course, you can't say it seems like because it's, it's the way it happened. But it seemed that if she could have transitioned uh, life, you know, into another way, um, you know, things might have been different. Because you, you mentioned in the end note that she, you know, she bought a house. She was very interesting in gardening and whatnot and the flowers. And uh, but she never could escape, it seems, like you said, from the from the image and. And uh, she's always seemed to be a very fragile, fraught person in her life, didn't she? Um, never really deeply found love or whatever. So it makes sense that she'd want to rest now for a while and um, and take it easy, you know, and with, without having to be anybody. Because, you know, a, lo- a lot of image was projected on her, unfortunately. Absolutely. It would, I can't even imagine that, to be honest. I just, I just can't. Be really hard on a person, I think. Yeah. And, and as actually, as Michael Jackson even said, he said, you know, everybody's fighting their battles, their own inner battles. And but the, but the difference is that, you know, celebrities have to fight their battles publicly. I mean, all their inner shadow work, all their inner stuff has to be played out in front of this, you know, millions and millions of viewers. And so it, it would be really hard, I imagine. I can't even imagine it. Can you? Um... I, I know just in a in a small sense of being a, you know a minister in the church for thirty years, um, you you know you become a public figure and uh, you you're no longer your, your own person. You know you have to be careful to be a certain way. You know to conform to what people expect of a of a minister, for instance, and and that's that's in a very tiny environment. You know, but but it's the same kind of thing. I can't imagine 
it's uh, expanded to the you know the size that it is when you're universally well known. Um, so, but it's 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 not it's not a comfortable thing because you can't truly be you. You're right. You're always protecting an image. Absolutely, it would be very challenging. I think so. My hats off to them that choose that that kind of a, a, a you know world stage to play on <laughs> to play out their drama. But uh, yeah. Waylon Jennings, you didn't know him when he came to you, but of course he's he's famous in some circles, you know, as being part of the outlaw country music uh, groups and all that, and um, a bit of a tear away, you could say, you know, always enjoyed himself um, with the women and the and the the the, the, uh, the drugs and the alcohol and whatnot. And you mentioned that uh, something that he'd learned is uh, slow down, right? He'd rushed through his life. He always wanted more and more. And um, his lesson was, folks, it's okay. You know, just enjoy. You don't have to be rushing. You know, don't have to add the extra um, uh, garage onto the, the, the onto the house, like the famous one of his famous songs has it. Um, you know, we're getting tired of keeping up with the Jones, right? It's time to time to relax. Yes, yes. That so many of them spoke of that, and they still do with me. And they say that. You you know, we look down and you guys are just so busy and there's always so much you think you have to do. And a matter of fact, somebody said to me in February, one of the beings uh, came to me and said, if you guys uh, instead had a to be list instead of a to do list, you would literally get more work done. And I said, huh? And he said, no, no, Lisa, today, put that list away. You've got this huge list of things you have to do. Put it away. Go out and have a massage. Go meet a friend. Go play. And we'll, we promise you, when you come home, there'll be requests on, you know, you'll come into your email, check it, and there'll be requests for readings and for workshops and different things. It's it's like you're in a vibration of joy. And when you're in the vibration of joy, apparently all is attracted to it. All the success is, is attracted to you. When we're in a very high stress state, which many of us are, uh, many of our, you know, many of our waking hours, that's uh, kind of pushes away a lot of good things to us. So I think it's just a shift in consciousness there. And it's a tough one for humans to make. And I struggle all the time with it, but I, I keep trying. Right. It seems counterintuitive, doesn't it? You know, you have to let go of something in order, in order to have it, right? To have a successful relationship, you've got to stop clinging to the person and let them be there who they are, holy and complete. And only when you can do that, there's the, there's the relationship um a success you know i think it's true with with life in general isn't it the um the more we can release and and uh almost like a cat chasing um you know a mouse it acts like it's totally disinterested um whereas it's not it's <laughs> it's biding its time right but but it does the opposite of what you expect it, it doesn't it's not seemingly focused endlessly on the mouse it sort of acts like oh yeah whatever there's a mouse <laughs> uh, but it is a, a good way of approaching life, you know, to sort of uh, relax and let go and, and allow it to come to you. Absolutely. Yes, indeed. I think I, there's a lovely line, and I, I, I can't remember the exact uh, quote, but it's, uh, it's from Franz Kafka. And he says, you know, just go into your room, shut the door uh, and, you know, do nothing. Just relax, be open and, and the universe will, will roll in ecstasy at your feet. And I've always loved that because it's so true. You know, if we can simply 
stop and just look, just observe the wonders that are all around us. The, the universe cannot help but unfold, you know, just give itself to us because that's what it does. It's always given itself to us. It's just we don't see it because we're, we're so intent upon being human doings. And I love what you're saying, you know, human, human beings, uh, be something is so important. If we can be something, all, uh, like seek first the kingdom again, right? All the other things will be added to you in the right and perfect way. Yes, they do. They come, they, they, they just come effortlessly. And it's making me think back to a period of my life where I was about, it was about a five-year period of my life, maybe five, six, seven years, where I actually lived in this almost childlike state. And in fact, that's what this being also said, it, along with that to-be list. They said, the only ones who understand this are children. Really and truly look at children, study them and be like them, because in that's really the way that all the magic happens. And in that five to seven year period that I, I, I'm remembering, uh, I... I was really living like very innocently in a childlike state and I just believed everything would be there and I there was nothing I had to do and I have to tell you everything came to me I got the most beautiful home I don't know from where uh, everything money was flowing situations were opportunities were opening and I was doing nothing I was literally just sitting there in my joy and my peace and my zen place and I I often think I have to get back to that. How did I, how did I do that? Because that really was pure magic. It seems to me also it's balanced by, you know, hard work sometimes, right? When, when we, when we've relaxed and allowed it to happen for us, then, you know, then we've got to be ready to, to do the work that's necessary. Um, whatever that might be, uh, you know, there's work involved in writing a book, for instance, uh, you don't just sit there and there it is, you know, the messages may have come, may have come through, but then you've got to put them in some kind of order, right? So I think there's a balance there, isn't there, that uh, yeah. you've got to be willing to do what it, what is necessary, right? But not try and force it. Yes, exactly. And mainly, and this was a very common message throughout those uh, those uh, beautiful souls that came in is really going for your passion. Um, because I work with the the dead and the dying, uh, they come through every single day. I'm talking to people that have crossed over, and really the the things that they ask us when we cross over are how much like things like this. How much did you learn? Uh, how much did you love? And did you have the courage to be authentically you and follow your passion? Or did you sell out to what your parents wanted you to do or society or money dictated? Because when we're really living our true authentic path, you know, we're in that heavenly space. And uh, and and that's really, I think that counts for a lot. So I, I try to do that as much as I can, but <laughs> I'm a human, so I fail a lot. <laughs> there we go. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so, you know, Walt, Walt Disney seems to be the, you know, somebody that lives that way. Um, you know, that the, you mentioned being curious and childlike, right? The joy of exploring and, and the adventure of life. Life is an amusement park, so to speak. Um, not in the sense like we're crazy and just screaming and <laughs> being mindless, but in the sense that it's full of wonder, right? There's there's joy in it. And, I, and I, from what I read from Walt, he, he's, he maintained that. Yes, yes, he did. Yes. And he's still helping over there doing that. And, uh, and uh, that's his, yeah, a wonderful trademark is, is that wonder of a child. I think it's so important. 
What about Elvis? You know, he had a sort of a childlike quality about him, even though he had a sexuality as well. But there was a certain innocence and, and um, a romance about him when he was younger. But he swapped that for this kind of dissolute person, you know, that the burned out. Again, he was only young, wasn't he? 42, I think, when he passed. Um, and he talks about that with some regret uh, with you, doesn't he? Well, the regret I know for him was um, it was a sadness that he now can see that every act of kindness, um, it reverberates right off the planet. I mean, you can literally see and, and people that can see energy when there's an accident on the road, they they will say a prayer and they'll be able to see this these heavenly lights that go from all these cars right over to the accident victim. And it's it's it's. It's noticeable for, for those like myself who can see energy. We see that. It's an energy. So what Elvis saw was every act of kindness. It's it just it just envelope and envelops the world. And he said, had I known how far an act of kindness goes and how it changes things, I would have done, you know, done kindness all day long, basically. But he didn't realize how big of an effect it had. And so that was really nice to be reminded of is that every little thing we do, whether it's listening to our friend that's having a hard time or offering to drive somebody somewhere or just, you know, whatever it is, whatever little act, it matters. It all adds up. Right. Very good. Um, at the end of that chapter on, on Elvis, there's a, there's a, a song called Santa Mary that uh, you, you say was in your head at the time and you, You've actually put the lyrics down here. Tell me about that, because it's quite an interesting song. Yes, that's a friend of mine, uh, Bob White, uh, Robert White. He's a doctor in um, New Jersey, and he wrote that song, and it's really beautiful when he sings it just with his guitar. It's, he's not he's a doctor, he's, but he does it on the side, you know, at the coffee shops. And that song is so beautiful, so beautiful. It brings me to tears every time. And as Elvis was speaking to me on the airplane I'll never forget because it, I was crying and I, I really didn't want people beside me to see that I was crying but here's Elvis and I'm typing what he's saying while I'm sitting beside somebody on the plane and then all of a sudden this song was just overwhelming me and I hadn't thought of that song in years and he just he really loved that song he just loved it so uh yeah it's it's, it's a powerful song do you mind if I read a few of the lyrics here for our listeners? Because I, I think it would speak to them. Um, it says, I've read the Bhagavad Gita, Proverbs and Psalms, the Gospel of Thomas and Khalil Gibran. You'd think I'd know by now, but I forget somehow. I've turned the tarot. I've rolled the I Ching, played with numbers and planets, crystals and beads. You'd think I'd know by now, but I forget somehow. I seen the mighty Pacific and the other side too. I perched with a raven in Malibu. You think I'd know by now, but I forget somehow. I've been to Taos and Sedona, walked the white Gulf sands, climbed the cold hoodoo in the Alberta Badlands. You think I'd know by now, but I forget somehow. Mary, my mother, Mary, Mother Mary, Mary, my mother. And it goes on, but it's the idea that, you know, we can, we can know so much, right? We can uh, have so many spiritual experiences and, and or travel the world, whatever. But, as, you know, until we make that connection, we're still just wanderers on this planet. And um, so it's a beautiful song about coming home to the 
the truth of your of your being again, isn't it? In the form of in this uh, of the divine feminine, right? With within our hearts. Absolutely, absolutely, so so important, and that's that's when you distill it right down to just that sense of connection, and that's it. Just a connection to the beautiful presence, the the Almighty presence. That it's it's a God presence. It's lovely. John Lennon. He's an interesting chap, isn't he? And then George Harrison. Um, who who's the most spiritual now? Do you think on the other side? <laughs> That's a great question. I think, you know, I'm going to go with George because because, like I said in the book, I used to get them confused that him and Jesus would come in in these flowing white ropes, and I think, wait, now, and they were coming from far away, and I think. Who is that? Is that Jesus? Who is that? And I kept getting confused. And I said, finally, you know, George, why are you coming with Jesus like this? And why do you look like that? And uh, he said, I'm job shadowing. <laughs> I loved it. And so he's he. Yeah, he's really in line with, you know, kind of apprenticing there in that way. And uh, so I'm going to say that I'm going to say, George. <laughs> And I, I thought he was going to come in with Krishna because he was such a Krishna devotee while he was alive, you know. But but I know he was he understood the essence of all um, all faiths and and that they're connected, right? So so yeah, maybe he learned all he needed to learn from the Krishna aspect, and now he he wanted to go to even a greater teacher, perhaps the, the you know, Lord Jesus Christ Himself. I don't know, but um, He's, he was definitely a, a person that you mentioned that in the um, in the book. I think, well, somebody re- was talking about him, um, saying that uh, I wish I could have been like George. You know, that George was able to combine um, the the fame, but also the the centeredness. Right. He was able to be uh, a spiritual being, even even with his possessions. And that's really hard to do. Absolutely. I mean, I can't even imagine because you just it would be so challenging to to not get caught in the trap. And, and you know, I don't even know if you notice that you're getting into the trap because it's so slow and, and just by drip by drip. Next thing you're, you're kind of living it. And uh, yes, I, I mean, I didn't follow too much of what he did when he was on this planet. I honestly didn't. I know I know their music and I loved it, but I didn't follow uh, personally what they were all doing. But um yeah, from what I understand now, he he definitely was able to, you know, walk both paths. And, and of course, I think it was, who was it that said that? Michael, Michael Jackson said that, I think, about him. Right, about him, yeah, that he, because he was not able to do that so readily, right? And um, he, reg- he regretted that. There's a story about George, you know, that he loved uh, sports cars and whatnot and, and racing in general. And uh, he was admiring this new car he'd bought, you know, for like half a million dollars or pounds and uh, you know and, uh, then he might walk off and meditate you know so it was like the balance of the two you know he could enjoy the the fine craftsmanship of that beautiful machine and he had the money to buy it of course um, but it wasn't the be all and end all you know he was he still returned to the to the formless beyond all the uh, the trinkets of, of this world and of course famously he kept up a beautiful garden didn't he in his um in his house, you know, and, and he had a, a lake and whatnot and spent a lot of time creating a beautiful environment. And, and uh, it, 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 he speaks to that in many of his later songs. You know, there's these beautiful uh, scenes uh, in his garden. And uh, again, like he was connected to the to the earth in that sense, too. 
Absolutely. That's that's what I'm understanding now. And uh, and I think that is the balance, because from what I've been told by spirit for decades now is that it's not about, you know, having money or not having money, having things or not having things. It's 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 all good. You know, that the, the good of the universe, the bountifulness of the universe coming towards us, it's all it's all good. It's all God. Uh, what you know, where we get trapped is when we attach to it. That's that's all. You know, we don't we just don't want to get attached to it and give it meaning that it shouldn't have. Yeah, good point. You know, one of the people that seemed to be a real bummer when he came on was uh, was Edgar Casey, you know, um, and uh, he was just sad about everything. Um he did. He did have some consolation, but but not much. So tell us about that, because I would have I would have thought he wouldn't have been such a you know, dour person there. Well, that surprised me too. Now he's one I did know because I had read his books and I really love his work, and I was very surprised actually. And I I don't know what to make of that to be honest. I, I'm not sure what 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 he's thinking or, you know what where where that's coming from, but. But I know it was depressing me and not, not, I mean, you know, fair enough. That's what he was observing and that's what he was feeling. And I was just the basically the celestial court reporter taking down the, the words that they're giving me. But uh, but I thought, wow, what a perception there. OK. And, yeah. you know, just just for people to know that when uh, when people cross over, a lot of my clients think that they change, like instantly you change. And you mentioned this at the beginning. No, uh, we we retain our somewhat of our personality when we cross over. But then slowly but surely, the veils and all the masks and all the, you know, um, ego stuff, it sort of drifts away. But it takes a while. It takes a while, you know. So we, you know, we still retain some of some of who we were. And obviously, that's his perception. You know, they say that you can go anywhere you want after you die, you know, and it usually dependent on your consciousness. So, you know, if you love uh, nature, you'll you'll probably be surrounded by a beautiful natural environment. If you love uh, amusement parks like Walt Disney, you know, life's the afterlife's an amusement park, etc. Um, and, and if you feel, you know, down and, and dirty and mean and everything, you know, you might experience a, a landscape that's a little bit like that. You think that's true? Absolutely. It is all where we what we think. And I tell people that all the time, I said, you know, if you really 100 percent believe you'll sit on a cloud and play a harp. Yes, you will. You will absolutely sit on a cloud and play a harp. Now, you don't stay for long because your loved ones, your angels, guides, teachers, uh, you know, masters, different ones, they will come and they one by one, you know, tap you on the shoulder. Hey, you know, you don't have to stay there. It doesn't have to look like this the whole time. And they really kind of try to, you know, coax us away from that mindset. But some people get very locked in a mindset because they think this is what happens after death. And I've got to wait for this or this or I'm trapped here or whatever they think. And I think it's really important to keep an open mind before you die because uh, because you'll get you'll be trapped by the mind. Yes. Yeah. yeah, very good. Very good point. Yeah. And that's why we can do such good work, I think, with the dying, right, to help them transition. And, you know, our society doesn't often do that. We sort of just sit with them and don't help them across. But I think, you know, wise guides can help, um, you know, encourage our loved ones on that journey. And uh, that, that, of course, that's the subject for another show. But it, it's a fascinating idea. 
Um, real quick, was there a favorite? Did you have a favorite person? Well, yeah, I mean, I I think Paul Newman has to be. He he was just so lovely and so heart uh, centered and 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 so real and warm and. I just always felt really amazing when he would come and sad too. I cried. I would always know it was him because I would smell cigarette smoke and I would start crying. And of course he was crying. Um, he's happy where he is, but he's waiting for his wife. And um, uh, I mean, obviously not willing her to come, but he, he's not going to go explore and travel because they can, they, there's a lot you can do on the other side and he's not going to go travel the, the, uh, galactic airwaves until she comes and so he's just hanging out and uh, waiting until she's uh, with him and then they'll go on together so I think he I would have to say maybe him and Davy Jones of course was delightful so uh, I, I loved and and George I mean there's so many and so many were there I love them all to be honest but yeah you know good. yeah all right I'm gonna tell folks about next week's show and then Lisa's gonna give us some words of encouragement as we go into this week. Um, so next week, uh, Drusilla French joins me again. She's a novelist and a teacher, and uh, we're gonna talk about the Wheel of the Year. We did it earlier in the year in bulk around uh, in February, and now, now we're gonna do uh, another show uh, about the Wheel of the Year, focusing on Halloween, Sawain, um, the solstice, and the new year. Always fascinating to talk with her. Uh, join us again next week for that. But right now, Lisa's going to give us some words of encouragement. And I'm going to cheat a bit, and I'll give you George Harrison's words of encouragement in June when he came in, and he came in singing Tom Cochran's song, Life is a Highway. And I'm telling you, for days I couldn't get that one out of my head. And he said, Lisa, he said, please tell people that they don't know what they're doing because they're sitting on a mountain of gold. And he said, I don't mean gold, gold. I mean the, the gold of possibility. Right now, the world is going through chaos, and so people are naturally in a lot of stress. But he said, there's another side here that nobody's seeing, and that is that when they're in stress, nobody's creating, nobody's manifesting. And right now, the veil is so thin between this world and that, that it's an ideal, in fact, an excellent time to manifest. And no one's on the manifestation highway. They're all on sort of the stress highway. And he said, so let everyone know that despite all the chaos, you can create a lot of beautiful magic and miracles in your life right now. So get, you know, start. Thank you for listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Sometimes you feel so alone and overwhelmed, you don't know where to turn. These days, it seems like there is no end to our problems. We invite you to connect with Silent Unity, the 24-hour prayer ministry where someone is waiting to pray with you right now. Since 1890, Silent Unity has always been there. No judgment or dogma, just someone affirming the best for you. Call 816-969-2000 today. You can also connect online at unityprayervigil.org. 